Lord, that which you want us to know and see. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to receive you and receive your word in the many ways in which you come and bring your word. We thank you for, for who you are, and we thank you for the price that you paid for us that we could enjoy this salvation. I pray, Lord, that we as Christians would pay the price, whatever that may be in our life, so that the gospel would be able to come out from us to others. I pray, Lord, that you would have your will and your way in our lives, and I pray for a surrender in each heart here tonight, in Jesus' name. Okay, Revelation chapter 2. Now, we finished last week, we looked at Ephesus and the church in Smyrna, but I just want to go back and just look at one verse related to the church at Smyrna. And then we're going to very briefly look at two other churches tonight and then uh, want to spend the rest of the class looking at one particular thing. In chapter 2, verse 9, we'll read that. I know thy works, this is the Lord speaking through John to the pastor and the church. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Now, whenever he says what he says here in the the first part of verse 9, he's revealing to you and I a kingdom principle. There are a lot of different kingdom principles. Uh, You catch them here and there in the Gospels and so on. But there is a kingdom principle here, although uh, there is... You have to look at it a little different way. For example, uh, he says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. Now, they actually were in poverty, probably physical poverty. But yet, in order for them to be rich, because Jesus says they were rich, the principle here that you see is that you must become poor to be rich. What does Jesus say in the Sermon of the, in the Mount? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. See, he, he puts that in there, in spirit, not physically poor. So a person can be physically poor or they can be rich in this world's goods and still be poor in spirit. See, it doesn't matter wealth or no wealth. That's not the issue. The issue is... What is going on in the heart? Are they poor in spirit? What does he say after that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? Theirs is the kingdom. See, that's a kingdom principle. So in order to continue in a particular way toward the kingdom, in the kingdom and all that, that's a principle that he he sees. Now, in this address here to the church, He sees something that is very good and very positive, and that is why he says that. Now, it's interesting to see when you look at the different churches that you will see in some respects in a verse, you will see some positive things as far as um, certain things that they had right. But then the Lord says, now I have something else I want to show you. And 
if you stop and think about that, that is how the Lord works with us as individuals. He will commend you for this or for that because you're walking with him, you're doing something uh, related to his will or, or you, whatever it may be, wherever you are, whatever it is he has you, you doing or not doing. And he will sort of commend you. He will put his stamp of approval on that. But then he comes and he says, now listen, there's still something else here in your life that I want to deal with. I want to change. I want to heal. I want to do something there so that you can get things right in another area of your life. So I see his dealing with the different pastors and the churches as related to, to me and to you as how the Lord approaches us as far as our personal walk with him. And he approaches us not on the grounds of who we are, but on the grounds of who he is. Not on the grounds of our character and the lack of our character, but his character, and he holds that up. This is what needs to be you know, done, or this is what needs to take place. And um, so let's continue on down to the next church here, Pergamos, verse 12. Now we'll read these verses, and I'll comment as we go. And unto the pastor of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword, and he says this, and look how, he's, how this is written, and how he emphasizes. He just doesn't say a sharp sword. Now, we know what a sword is, but he emphasizes something about the sword here to bring your attention to something so that possibly we could see some other thing here about the sword. He says, with two edges. So there is a sword. He's talking about, um, look in Revelation 1, 16. So out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And then in 2.16, he says, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. See, so now you're seeing what this sword is. Remember that this is, as you see it in Ephesians, it says it's the sword of the Spirit. It's not your sword. It's not my sword. I cannot, well, put it this way. I am not to pick up the sword and use it. You are not to pick up the sword and use it. Uh, the servants, the disciples of, of Jesus, remember Peter picked up the sword. Now, we're relating this in the physical. He picked up the sword and he used it. And Jesus said, no, no wait a second. This isn't the right thing to do. You're misusing this, as he takes the ear of the individual and puts it back on. We can take the sword, and we can misuse it. See, we, we actually can do that. And I'll give you an example of that. I can look around, and I can say, okay, now that individual over there, I know they need this, they need that. This is what's going on with them. So I'm going to tailor a message for them. And when I come, I am going to preach this message related to what I see needs change in that person's life. Now, what I am doing then, if I do that, I am taking the sword. But it's not the sword of the Spirit, you see. It's not the sword of the Spirit is to be used by the Spirit of God. So I don't have to be concerned about what's going on in individuals' lives or, or what lack there is there. 
that doesn't really matter to me. All I need to do is look to the Lord and allow him to use me to, to bring forth his word and allow the, the Lord to use the sword of the spirit to do whatever needs to be done. Because it's not my sword, it's not your sword. It is the sword of the spirit, of the spirit. Big difference. And you see this go on many times if you have eyes to see where people will take it up. Pastors maybe take it up. An evangelist will pick it up and they'll start whacking. And before you know it, somebody's a bloody mess in spirit and they're gone. But if it's the sword of the spirit, that's something different. The Lord can take the sword and he can do surgery. See, the sword there in Revelation, it says it has two edges. One edge, I believe, is for the enemies of God. And the other edge, oh, we like that, don't we? Oh, there's the enemies and, you know, Lord, get them. The other edge comes back toward us. What did Paul do with the Corinthian church? See, Paul used the sword of the Spirit in telling them that they were carnal Christians. They were carnal. See, the, the sword cuts now, the nice thing about this is that if the Lord is doing the cutting, he will also do the healing. So if the Lord sees something in my heart and life that needs to be corrected, he can bring his word and the sword of the spirit can cut that. And if I am receptive and if I am surrendered to him, then he can take something out of my heart and life that I was totally, totally inadequate and, and it was impossible for me to change and take out. And then all of a sudden, if I yield to the Lord and I yield to him, his, his moving in my life, then that's gone. It's just, it's effortless. Well, we feel a little bit of the cutting, but it's, it's not there any longer to cause us problems. See, so he says that to bring your attention to that. A sword with two edges. The Lord can use both edges. And he does. The, the, the servants of the Lord, Paul, Peter, they all used the sword of the Spirit. They didn't pick it up. On the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't pick it up. The Lord gave that to him, and he stood up, and there it went forth, and 3,000 came to the Lord. Verse 13, he says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. Now, Jesus knows the works of the pastor. He knows the works of the church. He knows your works, my works. He knows that. And you'll see, he says this to every church, I know thy works. And when you continue on in the verse, each one, you will see something a little different. And he doesn't, in some respects, doesn't elaborate on that. He just mentions it. And then he says, okay, 
this is what needs to take place with you, pastor, or this needs to take place in your church. This is what needs to be changed. And I want to talk tonight, later on, about that very thing, works. Because I believe that there is a little bit of confusion out there related to that. So he says, I know thy works. And he knows where he dwells, the pastor dwells. Now, he, he doesn't necessarily mean a geographical place. So he's talking to the church at Pergamos. He's not necessarily meaning that geographical area, that particular city. He's talking about, and of course that applies, because he talks about the seat of, of, the, of Satan. But he's talking about where they're dwelling. See, where are they living? See, where do you dwell? Well, come on over to my house, I'll show you. No, that's not where you dwell. That's where your body dwells. But where do you dwell? See, the Lord knows where all of us are spiritually. He knows what plane we're on. He knows how we're moving. He knows where we're going. He knows the, um, the direction of our heart. He knows the desire of our heart. He knows if we want more of him or if we're content where we are. He knows all that. So he comes to this individual and he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's seat is. Now he's talking about uh, the spiritual warfare, the area where he's in. Hold fast my name, thou hast hold, hold fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where in Antipas was my faithful martyr. So there was a persecution there upon uh, the, the church in uh, Pergamos. There was a pressure there upon them. And Jesus sees that. See, he knows when the pressure is on. Have you ever had the pressure on? Has the Lord in your life, let's say, so you're walking with God, and all of a sudden, things are fine. All of a sudden, you get this pressure. It can be through your circumstances. It can be various different things, relationships or the lack thereof. And there you are in this thing, and the pressure begins to come, and it begins to mount. Now, we're all made of the same thing, you know. And I don't think that... For the most part, if the pressure is enough, that most of us can handle it. See, it takes a work of the Lord in our hearts to be able to handle certain things. So they're under extreme pressure here. They're under persecution and whatever else. The Jews were persecuting them very, very badly. Remember Paul. You know, Paul was sent out to persecute the church. So there was quite a bit of persecution, and then they had to deal with the Roman Empire. And they weren't too forgiving as far as Christians either. So they had to deal with that. In order to deal with that, the Lord had to strengthen them because he knew where they dwelled. He had to come and strengthen them to be able to handle that which they had to, to handle. And the Lord will come to you, Christian, and if you are in a place spiritually where you 
point your heart toward him and your focus is him, then he will come and strengthen you where you are spiritually so that whenever the pressure, whenever the difficulty and all the things that come your way, my way, when they come, we will be able to stand and we won't leave and go back out into the world. Do you realize that it must be the hand of the Lord to help us and to strengthen us. We can't do this ourselves. And I'm telling you, things are happening on the, the world stage and in this country that have never happened before. And in the up-and-coming years, we may begin to experience things that we never thought we would experience. Well, how are we going to deal with these things? Well, the Lord knows right now where every person here is dwelling. He sees it. And he is loving, and he wants to come and touch you and heal you and put in you, by his grace, that which you will need to face what you will face tomorrow, next year, the year after, and so on. Some of the things that I'm reading in Revelation, if I wasn't in God, would be frightening. I'll tell you, and I know the different, all the different views that people have as far as the, the tribulation and all that stuff. But, unless the Lord strengthens us, we'll go back into the world. I mean, we don't even need a lot of pressure. People just leave all the time, you know that. They walk with God for a while and then they go their own way. So I like Jesus because Jesus doesn't let them where they are. See, if there is something that needs taken care of in them, he doesn't forsake them. He doesn't say, look at that, what's in them? All that stuff that isn't right, and I'm just going to just write them off. No, he comes to the pastors of the church. He comes to those in the church that were in immorality, and he deals with them. Why? Because he doesn't love them? No. Because he wants to, to bring them out from their sin, and he wants to salvage what he can in people's lives. Verse 14. So he, he just gets done telling them that they, they were holding fast to his name, they didn't deny his faith, and so on. Then he says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So the pastor here was to use, and he says, I have a few things against you. The, the, the sword of the Spirit is coming from Jesus Christ when he's speaking here. See, he is coming, he is the one with the, the, the sword with two edges. And what he says here to the pastor is cutting. I have something against you because this went on, this is going on in your church, and that's going on, which actually brings about a question in my mind. It seems to me that Jesus is giving the responsibility to the pastor to correct certain things in the church. 
because he's the one that's actually, you know, taking the brunt of that. Hey, this is going on here. You have those that, that are holding to the doctrine of Balaam. You have people there that have that same spirit. Not that they were teaching the exact same thing. Maybe they were. I don't know. But in their spirit, that particular falseness was there. And so Jesus comes to the angel, to the messenger, to the pastor, and he says, I have somewhat against you. There goes the sword. Now, what's the pastor going to do? Well, he has the same choice that pastors have today. He had the same choice that we have today. When the Lord comes and he says, listen, there's something not right in your heart. Are you going to rebel against that? What about if the pastor comes to you and says, hey, listen, this particular thing here isn't right in your life. This needs to be corrected. Are you going to say, hey, listen, I hear from God too. Are you going to, to push him you know, out and say, that's just you speaking? We have to be careful. No, it can't be them speaking. But you need to know. When the sword of the Spirit comes, it's very cutting. That's why some people just can't take it. It's just, it cuts. Who likes to get cut? You get a deep cut in your hand? Wow. Doesn't feel too good, does it? But what happens? Your body does what? When you cut your hand. The process of time, your body... See, that's the spiritual principle there, you know. It's something in the natural that's displaying something spiritually. The Lord will cut, but... There's always healing right there, and the healing process will begin. But the key factor in that is the will of man. Will the pastor agree with the Lord, receive that word, and say, yes, 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 okay, I'm wrong, I'll take care of that? Or will he rebel and be hard-hearted like you see the children of Israel in the wilderness, it says many times in the scripture that they were stiff-necked and rebellious. You know, the Lord came to them. How, how did the Lord come to them? Through Moses. Came to them through the testimony of Joshua and Caleb. Many different ways. But they couldn't receive it. So be aware that when you go to church and you sit under the ministry of the word, Remember that there may be a cutting, and, and remember, don't become offended. If it seems like the person is talking about you, then rejoice, because how do they know what's going on with you, you see? I mean, are they sitting at home like a fly on the wall? No. But you have to understand it's the Spirit of the Lord that does these things. And I have seen it time and time and time and time again. The Spirit of God does what he does, and he does it very well. What's it say about the Word of God? It's, it's quick and powerful and sharper than any physical two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. That's how far it gets down in us.
And what does it reveal? The intents of the heart. And we don't want anybody to know the intents of our heart. And actually, sometimes we don't even know. That's why the Lord has to get in there and he shows us. This was your motivation. This is what's going on there. Whew. Now, I'm, I'm up here teaching this, you know. But don't think I haven't been cut and stabbed and healed. <laughs> it's all part of it. It's nice. It's nice to have the Lord do something we can't do. See, we can't change ourselves. I mean, I guess we can to a degree, but there are certain things in us that have their roots in sin, in our carnal nature, and we cannot overcome that. We may get a partial for a time, then that thing comes back. But if the Lord gets in there, and he does the cutting, and he does the healing, it's nice. You know, it, it's nice to see the Lord work on our behalf. And not just answering prayer, but this is, this is something that is deeper. See, he an answers the prayer of your heart that you don't even know you're praying. Did you know that there's prayers of your heart that you don't even know you're praying? See, if you have a desire for God, that means that you want to move on with him and that is a prayer that he sees, and he will bring what is necessary in your life to do what he needs to do. So he's answering the prayer of your heart that you don't even know you have. So he's really good. He's really good. Verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And we looked at that last night, last week. Verse 16, he says, repent. Now, remember, there are different things going on here with different churches. This word repent, it's not, he doesn't say that to every church. But he does say it, I don't know, three or four times. This one here is in the plural. The other ones are singular. So as I, I see this, if I'm seeing it right, he's saying repent when he's talking about the individual, the pastor. He is saying that singularly. He's talking about him. Of course, that you know, is reflected into the church. But here it's plural, and I believe he's talking to the pastor and those there in the church that are holding to the doctrine of Balaam and who are uh, dealing with this doctrine or, or holding to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So he says here, repent, plural, uh, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them. And the word them there is plural. See how he's saying that? He's not saying I'm fighting against you or him, meaning the pastor. He's talking about them, and that could be a, a much larger group uh, of people in the church. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. See, so there you go again. He is coming with the sword, and he's going to use that. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, what took place there. You know, we don't know. But as I was saying, the sword of his mouth can be used today. The sword of his mouth 
comes out many times through ministers of the gospel. And the sword of his mouth can come out from someone else. It depends on what the Lord is trying to do. And, and he, he'll use people. Remember, see, we don't think like this, but remember Balaam's donkey? Now, what came out? How many donkeys have you ever heard of that, that spoke? What did the donkey say? What, anybody know what the donkey said? What he was saying was the sword of his mouth. In other words, that was the sword of the mouth of the Lord to Balaam through a donkey. So God can use all kinds of ways. I guess it's okay to be a donkey for the Lord, right? But anyway, he spoke right out through, I mean, only recorded time, I believe, that a donkey spoke. So you have to know something else was going on there. The Lord was speaking to this prophet. So the Lord can speak. The Lord can deal with us. He can do all kinds of things. And he can use the sword of his mouth. And that will accomplish what hopefully he wants done. Verse 17. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and, and will give him a white stone, and in this stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that, that receiveth it. Verse 18. Now we're moving to the next church. Now we're going to come back to verse 17, but not tonight. And unto the pastor of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. Now what do we know uh, about fire? Okay, we'll start with this. Light. It brings light. So he's seeing here Jesus whose eyes are as a flame of fire. You have light. From fire you have heat. And you, you know what heat does, don't you? You, know, you know, He puts the fire, the heat, under the pot. Okay? You have guidance. Remember in the wilderness you had the burning bush, and uh, that gave guidance to Moses, among other things. And then you have illumination. Fire deals with illumination. It also deals with purification, that whole process. So, so there, all that and more is seen here in his eyes, which are as a flame of fire. And then he goes on and he says, And his feet like unto fine brass, not, not the brass that they used in the Bronze Age to form weapons and tools and armor, but the bronze that was formed through the purification of his life, of the Lord's life. There was a purification there, so that Jesus walked in a pure way, in a pure light, you know, bringing that which he is, his character now, in view here in Revelation, putting out before the pastor 
that which is light, that which is, is pure, that which is uh, that which brings illumination, and so on, so that he would see these things and come down and surrender to him. Now remember, the, the pastor of the church here is not seeing what John is seeing. John sees Jesus, and we looked at this in chapter 1. He sees the glorified Christ, and he sees him in a way he never did before, even though he had served him for many, many, many years. So, so the message is coming to John. Now, he is putting this in a book, like the, like the angel told him. Or is it the angel? Jesus told him, put it in a book, and send it to the churches. So now, this comes to the pastor here at Thyatira, and he is not seeing the glorified Christ that John saw, he is seeing the words that are penned and written by Jesus through John to him. Now, if his heart, and this holds true for everyone, if his heart is soft, then those words will have an impact on him. It's just like in a church. You have various heart degrees of softness or hardness, however you want to say it, differing soil types. And the word of God, the same word comes out and it touches and ministers to one person. It's like, whew, wow, this is really, really, really good. I see this, Lord. Yum, yum, it's good. You know, feed on it. The next person, it's like this stone wall is there. And it doesn't penetrate so Jesus brings his words here, and it is to have an effect upon the pastor and through him to the church. But depending upon the degree of softness of his heart will actually, um, the work that is done say it this way, the work that is done or accomplished through him, that will be affected so that it will either be done or it won't be done. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So that now, here it is right in front of him. If he has a soft heart, he will begin to have this picture of the Lord whose eyes are like a flame of fire and whose feet is like fine brass. See, do you have a, a view, a vision, a picture of Jesus Christ? Not some picture that you paint in your mind of him standing there, but do you see him high and lifted up? Do you see to some degree, have you seen in your life, the glory of Jesus Christ? When you pick up the word of God and you start to read it and study it, do the words have an impact upon you? Do they do something in you, or is it like reading a novel? So this is all relative. It applies then, it applies now. It depends on the individual's heart. The work that God wants to do many times depends upon the individual themselves, whether they are, are soft, whether they are receptive or, or not. 
So it's not the Lord that is at fault if something doesn't you know, occur with us. If we're not touched, if we're not changed, many times it's not the Lord. It's where we are. And, you know, you go in the world and you go to work or, you know, you deal with people, you know how it is. We can become hardened very quickly. And it takes the Lord. We need the Lord to keep our hearts soft. You know, we walk around in the world and we get the dust, so to speak, of the world upon us. We're influenced by the carnality in the world. And the Lord, we, sometimes we come to church and it takes him an hour to get everyone ready to enter into worship. We're not ready many times when we come to church. You know, the Lord is working. It takes 15, 20, half hour or an hour sometimes to get people in their heart where now they're ready and receptive for what the Lord wants to do or say. So he says this to him. I know thy works, verse 19, and love and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. And the last to be more than the first, notwithstanding I have a few things against thee. Now, that to me, when he says these things to these people, it's just you function, you walk with the Lord, you do what you think is right to do, and you walk with him maybe for many years. I would not want the Lord to come to me and say, okay, this was, was good in your life, this was good. But I have something against you, and this is what it is. I, I don't want that. I want to be true. I want to walk with him in the correct way. I want to draw close to him. And the things that need to go and, and be put out of the way, I want that done. I don't want the Lord to come to me and say, I have something against you. Now, I believe that he is so gracious, he's not going to wait until we're at the judgment seat of Christ to say that. See, he didn't wait. He can say, well, you know, when you come before me, then you'll see and you'll get yours. Jesus doesn't do that. He comes to them here and now in their lifetime. And he says, I have something against you here and now. Why? See, so that that can be taken care of, that can be corrected, and you can get where you need to be, so that when you do come before me after, you know, that that will be taken care of. I won't have anything against you. So I see the grace of God, and I see the love of Christ toward us in, in reading this. He's concerned about what's in our lives that isn't right, that needs taken care of. And, and he proceeds. He says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou allows, allowest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess. Now, she calls herself a prophetess. Just because a person calls himself a prophetess, a prophet, a pastor, an evangelist, does not mean that they are. Because she called herself a prophet, prophetess did not mean that the Lord put his stamp of approval on her life. She could have called herself that. The people around could have called herself that. her that. It doesn't matter. Just like in the epistle of John, it says, and if we say, John says, 
Well, we can say a lot of things. We can say this, we can say that. It doesn't really matter what we say. It matters what we are. It matters what we become, not what we say. People say a lot of things. Pastors say a lot of things. It doesn't matter what's going on in the heart. She calls herself a prophetess. Okay, you allowed her to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, when the Lord comes to him, this is with a stern rebuke. It is his responsibility to see that that does not take place in the church. And there's something like that in the church, it needs to be addressed. Does, do you know that things like that happen in churches? You know, you hear about these things where, you know, okay, the minister runs away with another woman's wife. You know, or some leader in a church gets into gross immorality. These things do happen. Or something is going on, a situation in the church, and... Um, I have seen this years ago where there was a situation in the church and it just, it was like a cancer. It just grew and grew. And, and the means by which it grew was gossip. And the thing slowly, I, was, I just watched it. Person, the person, the person. And of course, I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't anything. I was a new Christian. But I was able to see this thing. It was starting to eat people up. And before you know it, about 50% of the church was infected. And the pastor eventually had to, to step in and do something about it. But see, that, the, the, that responsibility is in the hands of the pastor. He's the one that has to come forth, and then he has to do it with the sword of the Spirit. He has to do the thing right and with the right attitude. Because, you know, there are a lot of things that can be done. Even if you, if you have the right thing to do, you can do the right thing the wrong way. Do you know that? How many have ever done something that was right but did it the wrong way? And it's just like, poof, it's like blows up in your face, kind of. <laughs> yes, we've all been there. So he's laying this, verse 20, on the pastor of this church. He said, you have allowed this. In King James, it says, um, because thou sufferest. Let me see what it says in this other translation here. He says, you tolerated that woman Jezebel who calls herself. He tolerated it. He, he let it go. Now, it's okay to let things go for a period of time. You have to wait for the Lord to, to do something. You can't just decide, okay, I see this thing, now I'm going to intervene. That does, no, that doesn't work either. There has to be a waiting upon the Lord in the heart, hoping that that, that particular thing would be corrected or changed, and then the Lord will let that go for so long. And you see that in the next verse very graphically. He says, and I gave her space to repent. See, when he says, I gave her space... That is the gift of God, the gift of his grace to her. I gave her, her chronos. Chronos is that word space. That word 
means an indefinite unit of time. See, it's the gift of God. He, he gave her chronos. That's Greek. He gave her this time to repent, whatever time that was. And because there was no change in that period of time, like the Lord desired to see, he now is going to say something to the pastor to intervene. He is going to have to intervene. If he wants to stay right with the Lord, he's going to have to intervene in the situation and correct it or do whatever needs to be done to take care of this particular thing. And I'm telling you what, it is not easy. Who likes confrontation? <laughs> Some people do. But those people don't have the right spirit. You know, that people in the workplace, there's some people that just, they love, they feed on confrontation. It's all they want to do. That's all they walk around doing. You see, it's like, oh boy, here they come again. <laughs> but most of us don't like confrontation. And, and that's what happens many times in situations like this. Okay, let's continue on. I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. See, there was no room in her heart to repent. No room. No room for the Lord. No room for his word. She did not repent. So now further measures are taken. And that's the way things go. You know, the Lord allows things to go for a period of time, a space of time. And eventually he will intervene because after a certain period of time, he knows that what he wanted to, to see happen, what he wanted accomplished in that space of time, that chronos, did not occur. Now, he knows that if he leaves it continue, it's not going to change either. So now there's going to be an intervention. And the Lord does this all the time with people. I, I see this frequently. He will let something go for a period of time, and depending on whatever, I don't know, you know, where the person is, their spiritual development, you know, what their frame of reference, their background is, and the Lord takes all kinds of things into consideration. But he lets it go for so long, and then after that, he knows there's not going to be a change if he lets it go, so now something else comes up, so to speak, on the menu. Now there is a change, and he intervenes. The Lord intervenes for a reason. He's going to intervene because he wants to change what is there. He has to take stronger measures. It's just like a child. You know, some children, you say, hey, don't touch that, and, and that's fine. They, they don't touch it. Some kids, you say, hey, don't touch that. And that's exactly what they do. They're over there touching that. And so you say, come on, get away. And then a little bit later, they're doing the same thing. You say again. And, and there's a period, a space of time here, a chronos, however long it is that you'll tolerate that till you intervene. Now you can intervene in, in something else. Now you're going to take some stronger measure. The Lord does the same thing with people. He'll let things go for a long period of time with some people. Some people, it's a short period. It just depends. He, he knows. He sees the heart. He sees what's going on. He weighs all, and he knows 
when the time is, if there is no repentance, I gave her a space of time to repent, and she repented not. Hence, now I am going to intervene. So that's what he does. Better to keep your heart down and keep your heart soft so that if the Lord ever has to intervene, hopefully he doesn't, but if he ever has to intervene, you're just, okay, it's fine, Lord. I'm not offended at you or whoever you send my way. It's usually the person that <laughs> the Lord sends is the one that gets the brunt of it, you know. But that's okay. That's the way it's, that's the way it is. So I gave her space to repent and she did not. Behold, verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Now, this... Does that mean the, the tribulation period? He's going to cast them into this great tribulation? Do you know that there is no, nowhere in the Bible where it says the great tribulation period? Do you know that? They take this great tribulation, and I saw this in a book. They put the on the front and period on the back, and then they said the great tribulation period. But that's, that's not what it says. Even further on in Revelation, it's used again. It says great tribulation, but it doesn't say it as it's always quoted, the tribulation period. But that's something different. Anyway, I was doing a little play on words here. And them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Um, the tribulation means pressure. It means trouble. It means suffering. That's what awaits those who join themselves unto her, unto her spirit. Those that join themselves unto her, this, this woman, in spirit, talking about in spirit, not the fornication, that part. But those that join themselves unto her become her children. Just like um, Stephen and Philip joined themselves unto the apostles whenever they were teaching daily in Acts uh, on, in Solomon's porch. Then Stephen and Philip in spirit became their children and they went out. The same thing here occurs in, in this setting. Look in verse 23. And I will kill her children with death. It's not talking about her physical children. I don't know if that would apply or not. But it's talking about those who have joined themselves unto her in spirit. And now they are like her. They in spirit are becoming like her. And because of that, he says, I'm going to kill them. And I don't know exactly what he, he's referring to there. I'm going to kill her children with death. Spiritual death? Because these people were in a church, remember. The church was the place where people have life. So you can go from life to death, you know. You just, you know, go off on some tangent like they were and remain in that. And that will take uh, that which the life of God has produced. And they'll just, you'll be, you'll be dead, spiritually dead. So I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which search, searcheth the reins. He searches the reins, the innermost thoughts. 
the innermost purposes, the affections. He searches that in the hearts of men. So he says here, let me see, where is it? I don't see it. Oh, verse 24. But unto you I say, and unto the rest. Now, who's he saying? When he says, unto you I say. He's talking about the pastor, you see. Unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, as many in the church that aren't moving in this. Now, obviously the pastor wasn't, but he was allowing that to take place, and the Lord is, is rebuking him and saying, you need to take care of this. He says, but, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and have not uh, known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. So he says here that they have not known the depths of Satan. So this teaching here uh, to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols, which was mainly related to that culture, that leads the heart in the directions. He's talking about something that leads the heart in a direction and the direction is the depths of Satan. See, you as a Christian, it says in is it Psalm 42, deep calleth unto deep. See, the deep in God calls unto the deep in you as a Christian. And we are to respond to the deep in God so that he takes us from where we are to a deeper spiritual place with him. Well, the same thing holds true on the other end of the spectrum where you have this particular woman or this doctrine, this thing leads in a certain direction. And he says, Jesus says, it leads to the depths of Satan. So a person can, can go deeper in God or, or others can go deeper in the other direction. There, there are things that will take you deeper in God, you know, certain things. There, there are things that will take a person into the depths of Satan, and this is one of them. So the Lord says that those of you who have not gone in this way, okay, I'm not putting any more burden on you. You know, continue on. Which I, I like the Lord because he can come and he can be very cutting, but even in that you can see his grace and his love. So nice. Have you ever had the Lord come to you and, and say something uh, you know, like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> What's this I see? What's this attitude you have? Even when he comes to us in that way, you can see his love. You can see his gentleness. You can see how he wants to, to change and correct that for our benefit. You know, how many people have had an issue with anger in their life? A lot of people. Even some Christians you know, isn't it so nice to see where the Lord is able to, to get in there, in here, and change us so that that which was a problem before is no longer there? See, it takes a cutting. He, he, he knows how to do what needs to be done in our life. And that's just one example. There are things in our heart and life that we are powerless against. Unless God comes. How does John say it? He says, whatsoever is born of God 
He's not talking about being born again. He's talking about whatever is born of God in you overcometh the world. Now, I'm not angry at everybody. Why? Because there has been a change. Whatsoever is born of God. That wasn't from me. It was born from him. He changed that. That overcomes the world. I'm an overcomer now because now that which was in me is not there anymore. Oh, it's so nice. So nice. See how great the Lord is. He can change us. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Now, I was going to go into something else, but I think it's going to take me about another hour. We'll go as far as we can, okay? How's that? There were, uh, I gave you an assignment last week. I said that Jesus said, what two things? Now, there was more than two. But what two things did you find in your reading that Jesus said to every church? Because there were things that he, he says to one church, he doesn't say to others. But what was it that he said to every church? Come on. I know thy works, know thy works is one. Overcoming. He that hath an ear to hear. Now, those are three things. And I find it very, very interesting that he would say those three things to every church. So that caught my attention. You know, so now we have to look at this. We're going to probably look at uh, the other two next week. I, I think. We'll see. But I wanted to look at this thing here. He says, I know thy works. The Lord knows our works. He knows the, the pastor's work. He knows the works in the church. So we're going to, I have a lot of these scriptures in my notes to save time. So you don't mind if I read them? So we don't have to turn to them all? Okay. Um, the Strong's word for works is 2041. It's translated almost always, or the majority of time, works. Some places it's translated deeds in the King James. Okay. I, I don't know about the other translations, but you'll see deeds. It's the same uh, Greek word, 2041. Now, in the teaching of Jesus, when he deals with the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll see something related to incorrect works. For example... All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. Now, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's telling them directly about their works. That observe and do, but do not ye after their works. So he's, talking, he's actually talking to the people talking about the Pharisees. For they say, and they do not do. So Jesus is saying that they're saying something, but they're not doing it. Um, and then in another portion of Scripture, he says that their motives for doing what they're doing is to be seen of men. So my question is, what are the motives behind works when they are done? Now, works can be... I, I, this is what works mean. I, I looked this up in several lexicons. It means toil. It means an effort, that which is done. And this is what I, the one I like. The result of someone's activity works. And then it, it's also works, deeds, action, even occupation, task. Okay, but the one I like is that which is done 
uh, no, the result of someone's activity. That's low and neat as lexicon. Result of someone's activity. So there can be a lot of results from various activities. Okay? Now, in Acts 7.41, you don't have to turn there. I'm, I'm going to read these. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their hand. They rejoiced in the works of their hand. Now, just turn with me to, to Matthew. We'll look at this real quick. All works are not the works of Christ. Because there are works going on, because there are works seen, because a church is doing works, because individuals are doing works, because pastors, leaders, because they're doing works, remember, not all works are the works of God. Now, I'm saying that, but I'm going to show you here very clearly, I hope, this is one scripture, there are others, that point to this. In Matthew 7, now we know this verse. We, could, we, we all could probably quote most of it. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about how do I get it? This is, I'll say it. He's not talking about heaven. This is, should be the kingdom of God. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about progressing in the kingdom. He's talking about following certain kingdom principles and, and moving further into the kingdom of God. Just like the children of Israel were to move further into the promised land. Okay? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. But he that, what? Doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So the key here in this verse is doing the will of the Father, or the will of Christ. Okay? Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name? Okay, prophesied in your name, that's good. I mean, that, that could be good. And in thy name cast out devils. What did Jesus say about casting out devils? He said a person that's you know, can't cast them out by the devil. See, so he's not talking about the worldly people. So casting out devils is good. And in thy name done many wonderful works. So all these works were good. It says works, wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. And, and this here is referring to a knowing the Lord in a greater and a fuller way. Depart from me, ye that work. And the word iniquity means lawlessness. See, they were not following the law of the Lord. I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the law of the Lord, as he comes to you and he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. So I want you to teach the kids. Okay, so now that is the law of the Lord to you. So you are to 
follow that and take that and say, now I'm going to teach the kids. That becomes the will of the Lord for you. Whatever that is, whatever he, however he comes to you to do, whatever. Jesus said, depart from me, you are not, you work, you're working lawlessness, you are not following my law, you're following what you wanted and what you thought. See, they did many wonderful works, but Jesus said they weren't what I was wanting. You weren't doing what I wanted from you in your life personally. That's why he tells them that. They did miracles. They cast out devils. Everybody would look at that today and say, wow, wow. Let's all flock to that church. Wow, look at that. Jesus said, depart from me. You weren't walking with me where I wanted. I had that for someone else. You weren't doing what I wanted you to do. Pretty sobering. So they were doing works, but they were not the works of Christ, the works of God. Now, that's hard to see this, but let's continue on. I want to just give you three general characteristics of works. And these, these characteristics, first of all, I'll give you the scriptures. Matthew 5, 16. Works are to be seen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see, see your good works and glorify your Father. So there is to be a visible, visible display of works. Works are to be heard. Matthew eleven two. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So there you see, seeing works, hearing works. Uh, works bear witness. John 5, 36. But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness. See, the works bear witness. They bear witness to me, he said. Now, did you know that works are not in building buildings? See, I mean, you can build buildings if it's, if it's the work of the Lord, but it's not necessarily the work of the Lord. See, doing anything. We could do anything. Remember, what's, what's the word mean? It means toil, effort, that which is done. We can do a lot of things. Have you ever felt in your heart like, you know, you wanted to just get out there and just teach or preach to the world? I mean, to, to all kind of people and tell them about the Lord. Did you ever feel like that? Maybe nobody has. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't give many responses, so I guess not. Like you hear someone on the radio or TV you say, boy, I wish I could. Well, you know what? I wonder... How many people have moved into places that the Lord hasn't directed? I'd rather stay here and teach a small class of people and be, have it be the works of Christ than to be in front of 500 or 1,000 people. Now, I, I did that in Guatemala. It was the biggest church in, in the country, and I spoke at it. It was like 500 people. It was kind of different. You're just looking at a bunch of, you know, 10, 15 people, 20 people, you know, 50 people, and you get up and there's 500 people. But it was the works of Christ because I was there in him. So there, the, the temptation is for us, first of all, to get ahead of the Lord, and secondly, to get out there 
thinking that we're doing some great work for Christ when we need to be where we are to be and wait for him and let him open the doors to take us and use us or whatever he wants to do with us. Because it's not the amount of what you do. It doesn't matter how much you do. It's the quality by which you do what you do. I'm talking about for the Lord. He's looking for quality, not quantity. That's why he only had 12 disciples. He could have had maybe a thousand. He picked 12. He wanted the quality, the quality. So what makes good works good? Turn to Matthew 25. Okay, verse 20. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over what? (coughs) A few things. It doesn't matter how much. I will make you ruler over over many things. So the unprofitable servant, as we, if we would read the whole thing here, one of the things you see is that the works originated with him. See, it wasn't the Lord. That's why he was unprofitable. And when he says here, well done, that was because, he doesn't say much done, he says well done because it was done by the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus says, well done. So works are to originate from the Spirit and to be done by the Spirit. John 10, 32. I'll read this. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shown you from my Father. See, even with Jesus, it was the same. The works originated with another, the Father. And they came down and they were pushed through Christ or done through Christ. John 14.10 Believest thou not that I and my Father, uh, I am in, my, in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works what Jesus said, related to him. And that is the way, the way it is to be with us. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Same thing. Now in Corinthians, I want you to see this. Look at this. You can, you can get this. We, we read through scriptures and we kind of glance through them and we miss things. And we know these, but still it's good to see this. Okay, first Timothy, what did I say here? Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm in Timothy here. Okay, first Corinthians sixteen, verse ten. It's because I saw Timotheus. <laughs> you there? Okay. Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh what? The work of the Lord, as I also do. 
See, he's not doing his own works. He's doing the work. And the work of the Lord is just not doing something for the Lord. It's the work that the Spirit is leading and guiding and moving in for, for that individual, you know, for that purpose for that individual, what they're to be doing. And then in Philippians it says, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. Okay, I'll read another verse. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. Now, you know what that means, right? We are his workmanship. That means that the Lord is to be working on us. See, that's, that's the first thing he says in the verse. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, okay, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, in these good works. So first of all, uh, we are to be his workmanship. That's the key here to bring about the good works. See, people get saved and they want to go out and do all these things for the Lord. The Lord says, I will make you to become fishers of men, becomes a process. You see the same thing here. We are his workmanship. Now, if he does the work needed for, for today, for, for the time now, for you, you're surrendered to him. He's doing the work in your life. Now, you can go out by the direction of the Spirit and do works. And that will be what the good works will be. See, the, the good works will be reflective of the character of the individual. That's what the Lord's looking at. He's not just looking at the works. See, the Lord had me go to Peru or had me go to Guatemala. Okay? That was the work of Christ. So I go down there. And I'm doing a work. But what's going on there are two things. And this, this will happen with you even now. While you're involved in the work, teaching the kids, whatever it may be, the Lord works on the worker in the work. So he's going to continue to work in you. I don't feel like it. I don't, I don't want to teach. Well, I don't have to teach today. I don't have anything. You know how it is. It goes on and on and on. Doesn't it now? Why? Because he's working on the worker in the works. If he's working on you, you know he's working through you. See, see you, the works, you, that's one way to really know if you're, you say, well, I must not, it must be me. You know, I'm not to teach because it's nothing's going right. That's probably why the Lord's having you teach. He's tribulating you, you know, putting pressure on you so that now he's working on you. Now the works that come out of you, if you surrender to him and you walk with him and you're obedient to him, the works that come out of you are going to be pure works. They're going to be good works like the Bible says. See? But if we say, eh, I'm not going to do that. That's not for me. I'll go over here and do something else. I'm going to straighten all the songbooks out in the church. Well, you can straighten the songbooks out till your fingers are bloody. That's not going to be a good work because it's not proceeding from the Spirit and it's not originating in Him. See, it's 
the work of their hand. Uh, it's, it's different. Are you getting a picture of this? What works are? Okay, let's... We're to be fruitful in every good work. Okay. Now, here's an interesting verse. I just quoted that. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Now, that's Colossians 1.10. Now, the word, I looked this up, uh, the word good, because we, we, you see this in the, in the verse many times, and you, you don't know whether it's an English word that the translators added, or is it really there in the Greek? Is they, are they just saying good works because they think that it's all good? Or, you know. So I go and I look. Yes, it is a Greek word, good. It means pertaining to having the proper characteristics. I thought this was really good. Pertaining to, to having the proper characteristics or performing the expected function in a fully satisfactory way. So the Lord's looking at that, see. So the Lord could very well look at us and he could say the same thing he's saying to the pastors in Revelation, I know your works. Well, Lord, I hope if you know them, I hope that they are correct. That I'm doing what I am to be doing and that I am doing it with the correct heart attitude. Both of those. Doing it unto the Lord. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. Okay, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3. Now, I know I'm going kind of quick, but I have to. Too many scriptures here. Okay. The Lord will test our works to see if they are correct. Now, the thing that's nice about the Lord is I believe he does these things for us now, as we're seeing here in Revelation. He does a lot of things now. You know, the, there's two scriptures in the Bible. I'll just say this real quick. There's two scriptures in the Bible that relate to the judgment seat of Christ. The one, the verb, is future tense, and the other is related to the present. So both of those apply. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, future tense. But the grace of God is such, and Jesus is so good, that he's not going to wait then to let you go your whole life and stand before him and say, okay, now I'm going to judge you. This isn't right. That needs to take You didn't get rid of this. Jesus wants to take care of some of these things so that whenever we stand before him, we're standing there, you know, where our sins aren't following us, as one, one scripture says. Uh, we're standing there in, in purity. So he judges us now today. And he, he comes in certain ways to get certain things out of our heart and life. So he's going to judge our works, or he's going to test our works, to see if they're, they're correct. Now look in 1 Corinthians 3, and we don't have much time to spend here. He's talking about the foundation in, in our life. Now we know that you know, we come to Christ, the foundation is, is, should be Christ. But he, he goes on and, and he says about, you know, you can build on the foundation. And some people build on that foundation 
gold and you know precious stones and so forth. And others build wood, hay, and stubble. Stubble is, is some worthless ground. Is, there's not much value there. So you can have something in the end there that doesn't have much value. Or there can be something built there, laid on that foundation, that is as gold is pure. So, so a lot depends on, on us, the decisions we make, you know, where we go, what we do, and, and uh, many different things. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. <clears throat> now, here goes the building. If any man build upon this foundation, Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. See, see what that which is accomplished through your works, that's going to be manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it, it's the, the King James says, it shall be revealed by fire. Who has another translation? Verse 13. First Corinthians 3.13. Does anybody have another translation? Yeah, ESV. ESV, what's it say? It's basically the same. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test. Oh, it will be revealed by fire is better. What's your say? Okay, the King James says, it shall be revealed by fire. And the word shall there, when you say, well, I shall pick you up. Now that, now I can't even use that example because will doesn't help either. Let's just do it this way. Because it shall be revealed, this is a present tense verb. And it should read this way. It is being revealed, present tense. By fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. See, you can look this up. It's a present tense verb, presently. So, it shall be revealed. Or, or what is going to be revealed? It is going to be revealed. It is being revealed. Present. present. Is that a participle? I don't know. Is that a present participle? Okay, so that is, it is, it's because it is presently being revealed by fire. So the Lord is at work, just like we're seeing in Revelation. He is at work presently trying to reveal by fire your works to see what? Of what sort they are. And that means what kind it is, the, the manner of or the quality of. He's, he's wants the fire to show the quality of what is going on there. See, it's just not to be works. It's to have a quality about it. That's what the Lord is after. That's why it's being revealed by fire. See, that's why the fire gets turned up, so that the Lord can show the motivations of the heart. It is presently being, 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 participle, revealed by fire. Well, that's nice. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a negative. That's a positive. 
It's very, 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 very good. It's nice that the Lord cares for you so much that he will work to test certain things now here in our life so that when we pass on from this life and we stand before him, some of the work's already taken care of. Those things are, are you know, it was done. The, the quality there is produced. See, the Lord wants to produce the character, the quality in you so that your works contain that quality. It's not that you go out and you do works. It, it is to be a reflection of the character and quality the Lord has built within you, and that is, is moved out or pushed out by the Spirit flowing out from you, and that is what makes the good works good. See, because it is the work of the Spirit. So you can't stand before the Lord and say, look at all these great works that I did, Lord. He's going to say, what? If it came from him, it's not yours. <laughs> it is. You can't say, look at all this, what I did. It's from him. So he'll say, okay, I'm, I'm going to I'll give you this, this, and this because it was correct. You received a good, a, the good end of it too. But see, it's not yours. It's not my good works. It's his. Didn't we do all these great things for you, Lord? Your motivations were wrong. You weren't, they, they weren't, see, they said that in Matthew 7. They weren't of the Spirit. They weren't the works of Christ. Quite something. So not everything is done are the works of Christ. That's the point. So you get that. Now, do you know that, and this goes along with what I just said, God is not going to reward you for your works. Saying, like, well, you just said he would. He's not going to. The Bible doesn't teach that. And I can give you a half a dozen scriptures, and I'll read a couple of them to you. You're not going to be rewarded for your works. You're going to be rewarded according to your works. That's different. Much different. You can write these down. 2 Corinthians 11.15 Therefore it is no great thing if the ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Okay. Now, here's, here's a good one, Romans 2, 6. Who will render to every man according to his works? If the works are God, then there's no acknowledgement for you because they're the works of God. If, if, if they're the works of men, then you're rewarded according to that. First um, Peter 1, 17. And if you call on the Father without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work. So there you see it again. Now I'll turn to Revelation, since that's what we're studying. Revelation 20. So this, this holds true for the saved and the unsaved. Revelation 20, um, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up. You see that, see that phrase there, according to? And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell delivered up the, the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Um, now, everybody turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, verse 10. And we must, present tense, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So the word appear there means to render apparent, to make manifest. So we must all be manifested. But what I want to show you there is that that word there, according to. And then um, you don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Who will, and I have this in two translations. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will manifest... No, no, that's not the right scripture. Okay. There's one more scripture in 1 John 3, verse 21. No, verse 12. 1 John 3. Now remember that works have a source, you know. Christ can be the source of works. Self can be the source of works. Someone's sinful nature can be the source of works. You know, like we saw here with their hand, the works of their hand. It wasn't the works of Christ. It was the works of their hand. And you see that various places in the Bible. But in here, this verse here will show you a contrast between that which is good works and that, that which is not. In verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew, him, slew he him? Because his own works, see that? His own works were evil. His brothers were righteous. Why were his brother's works righteous? Because the source of them were God, was God. That, that's why. That's why the difference between Cain and Abel, the source there. So when Jesus, in, in finishing, when Jesus comes and he says, I know thy works, he says that to the pastor, he says that to the churches, and he knows what's going on there. He knows the motives of the heart. He knows the intent there. He knows um, when, when that which comes forth is of him, it is the works of Christ, and when that is not. So, as I said before, when we started to look at this, not all the works that go on, not all that we see, are the works of Christ. And there's a lot of philanthropists, is that how, how you pronounce it? You know, philanthropy? That's not the works of Christ, necessarily. Most of, it, most of it's the works of man. So, there's a difference between this. And if you want to, to work, or the, work for the, or the works of Christ, however you want to say that, you want your works to be the works of Christ, you need to 
allow him to work in you. You are his workmanship. And allow him to lead you ever so gently into that which he wants you to do. And be where he wants you to be so you can learn and you can grow and you can mature and, and he can put of his character in you so that the quality now found in you becomes the basis for good works. And that's what it's to be, of the character of Christ. I can do nothing but that which I see my father do, Jesus said. So the character he wants to, to put in you is key, very, very essential for the works to be what they are to be. Okay? All right. Scripture.